Morning, everyone. I'm so glad I wore my high heels. Because all you guys would see is a bun. <laughs> I always say I add the, the, the bun so that it makes me look taller. Um, thank you all for welcoming here. I love the ow, ow, ow. Challenge yourself. <laughs> um, where's Kiku? That was wonderful. That was really wonderful. And also the saxophonist lady who was welcoming us in, that was incredible as well. It's just so nice that to know that there's so much talent in our country. I got very excited, and I wanted to impress you because I've got a Renault pen that sits on my bedside table, which I've got. I brought it just for you. I'm a teacher's pet, you can see. <laughs> um, I, I, I got very nervous and excited uh, when I was invited by Nantogoso to come here because I always think, you know, what do you say? She asked me, do I want to put up a PowerPoint presentation? I was like, not if I want to bore you guys. Uh, there's nothing wrong with PowerPoint, but that's just not who I am. I like to just talk from the heart because I think those are things that uh, resonate I know there will be a Q&A session after this so that you guys can ask me questions. Uh, I wanted to talk about leadership, but before I get there, I thought that maybe for those of you who don't know uh, where I was before I was true love, I would read you my CV just for a little bit. Um, I, I also wish I was a UJ alumni, actually. <laughs> I think I would have gone further. Uh, I studied journalism and uh, my first job was at Fair Lady magazine a couple of years ago. And uh, I was a features writer. Um, I had to move to Cape Town. I remember I was 20. I had never lived outside of home. I was nervous as hell. And all I wanted, all I wanted really was somebody to give me a chance to write. Before then, I had been struggling, trying to get a job. I got an internship at Drum. They didn't renew my contract. So I spent like literally like a year of depression trying to ask myself, is this what I'm meant to do? And these are the things that people don't tell you. They, I, mean, I got five distinctions in my journal class, and I still didn't get a job. And those are the things that people don't tell you, that half of you getting ahead is having the persistence and the belief that you will get what you're meant to get. So I got a call before for my fair lady job. I got a call from a lady who spoke like she had a hot potato in her mouth. She was black. And uh, she said to me, um, you know, you have this interview. I spent my last money. I took a cab. I went and met Alice Bell, who was this cold but beautiful English woman. Um, and... I gave it everything. I got home. My mother was like, so? Oh, I'm and I was like, I don't know. And she hired me. And I'm so grateful that she hired me. So I took my bags. I went to Cape Town. And I started back in the days when used to fax. I'm sure for you guys, that is like uh, using the telephone that still goes around. Yeah. But we used to fax in those days, and I started doing little things, and I'd ask for more work, and I'd ask for more work, and I'd ask for more work. And eventually, I started writing. I then came back to Joburg, and the same lady who hired me moved over to Drum. I went over to Drum as women's editor. So, sweet justice. 
<laughs> I did that, uh, and then I then went over to Marie Claire and Oprah, where I worked as a senior writer. I was very lucky to have won a Mondi Award there, which is like uh, the Oscar for writers in South Africa. I was 24, and I remember thinking, okay, if you lose, it's okay. You just got nominated, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and when, when they called out my name, I, I, I felt that all those times when I had cried, I remember there was a time when I couldn't get that job, um, and I was with, uh, on the phone with a friend of mine, and I said to her, oh, you know, maybe this journey thing is not for me, hey? And she said to me, do you see yourself doing anything else? And I sat and I thought, and I didn't have an answer. I said to her, no. So she said, well, you have to hold on. So, you know, in those moments when you win an award, those moments make you feel like this is what I was holding on for. I went over and I became the, editor, the assistant editor of Real Magazine when they started. We were very lucky. We took that magazine to 50,000 by the time I left from like zero. And then one day, you know, everybody has like a dream. So some people want to be on TV. Some people like want to work for Vogue. You know what I'm saying? So mine was to work for the lifestyle section at the Sunday Times. Okay, because it is the country's biggest supplement. And I thought, like, just my name there is enough. And a friend of mine said to me, they are looking for an assistant editor. Well, let me tell you, I moved for 100 rand, but I went there. I started as assistant editor, and literally, like, less than a year later, they said to me, do you want to be the editor? I couldn't believe it. I went to my mother, and I said to her, Am I sure? She said to me, but you have been doing it. I'd been acting editor for three months. And I just plunged, you know. I just took that risk. I did it, and I edited the lifestyle section for four years. We um, won numerous awards while I was the editor and worked with some of the most interesting people in the industry. And I felt very, very kind of, you know, when you feel your heart just swell, with joy because you feel that you've been blessed. And then in 2011, I got the call to come edit this magazine that people love. <laughs> I remember my mother said to me, you know people are going to recognize you now. Who do you know? And I was like, no, man. I worked for the biggest paper in the continent. She was like, oh, Zobon. And she was right. Like, people really love true love. They They... It's theirs, you know, to the point where I was at the airport. I go to Cape Town a lot because I had office for me at 24s in Cape Town. So I see this girl looking at me. She's looking at me. Eventually, she comes up to me. She goes, sorry, are you Lerato Shabalala? I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> yes. She goes, yo, you must tell them to change your picture. I don't like that picture. It makes you look old. I see you now. You look very young. And she started talking like that the entire time. And I'm thinking, please don't let her sit next to me. Please don't let her sit next to me. But it was just that feeling of like, she had to tell me and she had to tell me now because, you know, she was just so touched by it. And I can't tell you the fulfillment I have uh, from doing this job. it's, It's one of those things that I cherish every day when I see women carry it 
when women say to me, oh, I like this and I like that, that's what, that's what we do it for. You know, that's what I do it for. And a lot of it for me is about gratitude because people vote with their money for me to have a job. And so, you know, when people look at you and they think it's glamorous and, you know, although nighty, we do perpetuate the, that glamorous thing. I mean, I'm wearing a leather dress. <laughs> On a Tuesday. <laughs> so, you know, but the, 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 the most precious moments are when I get to talk to people. So I have, um, there goes my Renault pen. Uh, I have five points that I wanted to talk about, about leadership. Because people will often say leadership, leadership, and you think, what do they mean? And one day, some of you sitting here are going to be doing the very same thing I'm doing. And if not that, you'll definitely be leaders. I want to explain first, before I go into my points, there's a dif difference between a manager and a leader. Okay, there's a vast difference. A manager wants to know, why are you late from lunch? Why are you not back? A work starts at half past eight, you're late. You know, that's what managers do. Uh, leaders are people like Steve Jobs who inspire and change history, affect people's lives. They teach you about yourself and how to be a better version of yourself. So when you say you want to be a leader, you're not necessarily saying you want to be that girl driving the M3, you know, letting people know that you're the head in, in charge. You know, that's not what it's about. Leadership is a lot about what's internal. So the first thing I want to say, like I said, I have five points and then I'm done. The first point is check your ego. Okay. Now, when I say check your ego, a lot of people will think of somebody who's quite boisterous and controlling. But people who are passive, aggressive, and insecure are also ruled by their egos. You have to remember that your ego is not only the thing that makes you loud, it's the thing that makes you go, is she dissing me? I think she's dissing me. Okay, so I'm just going to like be neurotic and psychotic because I don't know what to do. Uh, your ego will not let you be a good leader because when people are proactive, you'll think they're trying to take a job. When uh, you know somebody's trying to be inspiring, you're going to think they've been controlling. So checking your ego is the first thing because it's the first hurdle. And you have to remember that your ego comes from stuff your mother did to use things, people laughing at you in high school, you know, all those residual things that you're carrying. And when you become a leader, you can't take those things with you. At some point, you have to leave them behind. The second thing, every good leader must be willing to be wrong. Okay. So... When people come to you and they say, ooh, I don't like uh, this cover. I can't be like, no, I'm the boss. No, I need to listen to them, not hear them, because hearing is just a function. It's like tasting. It's the other things that come with it. Listening is about paying attention. It's about being there. And so when you say, hmm, okay, you know what? I think I was wrong. 
people understand that, oh, this is somebody I can have a discussion with. This is somebody who doesn't mind uh, not always being right. Because being right does not mean you're making the best decision for the group. And remember, leading is about leading a group. The third thing that I wanted to mention is that you must have humility. Okay, now, by humility, I don't mean you must bake everybody cookies and hug them every day. Ooh, I love you, Sophie. You're doing such great work. No, that's not what I mean. Humility is understanding that people make a conscious decision every day to come to work or school or whatever it is. And work can be really taxing. And sometimes something happened at home that you're still caring with you when you come to work. And that's when you find people crying and all those things. And even though it doesn't mean you're hugging everyone, it's understanding that people are not machines. That at some point, you have to look at a person and go, hmm, Dogoza, I think there's something really wrong. Would you like to take two hours off? Do you want to call a friend, go home? And I believe in having humility because that's the only part of you that connects you to another human being is when you are able to look at somebody else and realize that they're having a bad day. The last two points, I think, are most, my most two important points about leadership. The second last point is trust your instincts. Okay. So part of what I do is really about instinct. I have no qualitative thing that's going to say to me. Yes, of course, put Zonke, a.k.a. J something and Kulichana and that'll be fine. <laughs> you know, I don't know it's going to be fine. I have no measurement. I have nothing that says this will be okay except my instinct. Because your instinct is the thing that says to you, mm, that's not going to this club. We're going to get jacked. Uh, let me not befriend that girl. There's something about her energy that I don't like. You use the same thing in the workplace. You use that Instinct is the only thing you've got, really. It kind of is the thing, I think it's the thing that connects you to the higher power. You know, because nobody, the higher power can't talk to you. So it needs that thing, that voice, that thing inside of you that says, yes. Okay, go, or no. And the last point, and the most important point, and I think the reason why people thrive in leadership is you must hire people who are better than you. Now, I need you to see how my first point and my last point are connected to each other. If your ego is not in check, you cannot hire somebody who is better than you. Okay. I'll tell you why you need to hire people who are better than you. Because you guys know me as the editor of True Love, but I have 18 soldiers every day who bring in their best for me. So when I stand here, they are the ones making me look good. I don't write, sub, take photographs, lay out. I don't do all of that. But because I have the best working for me, they make me look good. I am not afraid for them to be better than me. I'm not afraid that they will take my job. Because when they do their best, they make me look good. I live my, my you know, everybody has a motor in life. Mine is by the Greek philosopher Aristotle. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, um, you can Google after. <laughs> um, he says, you are what you repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is a habit. And so I always tell people, 
who work for true love that we are excellent. We're not good. We're not great. We are excellent. And if you choose to be excellent every day of your life and you don't slip on it, even when you're tired, even when you want to like just give half, you give everything, you will be competing against yourself and no one else because you will be holding yourself to your own standards of excellence. So that is me, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Okay, so don't all jump in at once. Uh, I think I have 10 minutes. Yeah, I have 10 minutes. I will randomly, if you have any questions for me, uh, you have 10 minutes. Okay, sure. (laughs) Yes. Especially as a, oh, I'm going to pull the race card, but especially as a young black uh, female, how important is education to leadership? I don't know if you understand that. How can we tie in education with leadership? How, how, how do we do that? Because for us, our interpretation of education, as you know, how we interpret it as black people is diploma. You know, you have yeah. the you have the paperwork. Now get, go get a job. So how do I translate that into leadership and make it work for me? Look, I'll start by saying I think that education is important. I come from a three-roomed house in Maryland, as on ten, and you know I'm of the generation who did not have baths in the house. You know. And I was saying to people last week, we had a mentorship program at True Love. I was saying, I didn't realize I was poor until I started seeing other people. I was like, damn, we were really broke. <laughs> you know? And so I, I definitely understand the power of the certificate education because it allows you to compete fairly out there. So you may not have the money and the experience and the overseas holidays and et cetera, et cetera, but at least your education equalizes things when you're out there in the world. But obviously that education does not teach you street education. And I think part of being um, an educated person, whether or not you have an because I don't have a degree. Please don't think I have a degree. I am not. Like, I love all your people who are getting a real education. I was too in a hurry to work. But I think that you, you, you almost need to combine what you learn from the streets. I mean, I went from Emindolans to living in Ezola, which taught me a lot about handling yourself in the street. You know what I mean? Like, I'm one of those people, you don't mess with me in the street. Like, I will be ghetto. And you take that as well into the workplace. So everything that you go through, everything that you go through, will lead you to a space where you can handle uh, you know, being a leader. And I think uh, people can get the education and all these things. It's how you use it. And it's also not giving up. I've learned this year, the one lesson I've learned this year is the art of putting one foot in front of the other. And sometimes people can't wake up from the sadness of like, well, I got my degree and now I can't work. But it is putting one foot in front of the other every day. That is a triumph of all triumphs. That truly, that, that, is, what, that is what you need. 
I took the long route. Uh, can I ask the lady, then I'll come to you. Yes, lady. Um, what's the biggest challenge that you faced in your journey as a woman in a patriarchal society? The first example I'll come to, I'll say is, um, so one of these places that I worked for, now that I've mentioned all of them, I now can't say where, but I'm sure you'll figure it out. So I was working at this place, and they were going to um, promote me. And my manager came to me, and he said, well, you know, we want to promote you, but you're not going to go and fall pregnant, will you? (laughs) You know, as if it was like a handicap, something really horrible that I was going to do. He said, that happens all the time. We promote you, women, and then you go and fall pregnant. First, it's illegal to say that, and I could have taken it higher if I wanted to. Um, So you know things like that, that are just, men feel like they can say things like that to you because it's okay. Uh, But the biggest, I'd say the biggest challenge, apart from, you know, that, that kind of mentality, is walking into a space as a woman, but not only as a woman because I know how that sounds, so I'm going to clarify it. I will always be a woman as much as I am black, but that is not the sum totality of who I am. So I want to walk into a space, and I want people to recognize that I'm a woman. I want people to know that I'm a woman, but that's not the only thing that I want them to see. You know, I want them to see a professional, uh, somebody who's well-qualified, and yes, I may walk into the boardroom with high heels, but you know. I'm still a professional. And I think a lot of the times women become very aggressive in the workplace because they're trying to make up for, you know, not having the testosterone that men have. So they're going to be extra horrible even to other women. They're going to be uh, extra bossy, you know, so that you don't take me for granted because I am a boss. So I think the biggest challenge is, is to walk in as a woman, but not just as a woman. And many of you young ladies here are going to recognize that when you go out into the workplace and you think, oh, that felt like a shot fired at me because I'm black or I'm a woman or I am, am, am. And I try not to walk into any situation as my race or my sex. I try to walk in as the thing that the higher power intended me to be, which is an individual. And that's all I'll be. Um, can she ask and then you go? Okay. Um, I'm sure like to get to where you are now, you've had to make, you know, a couple of networking, having, you know, you've had to make friends with a couple of people in the industry. How important is it to manage those networks And how would you say you fit in the whole leadership thing into networking? Because at the end of the day, you networking with people who are at a level where you would like to be at, I'm sure it requires a certain level of leadership or humbleness or humility. How do you put the balance in that? Oof, what a good question you have just asked. So at my interview at True Love, 
Okay, now I'm being shortlisted. There's now three of us. Okay. I get asked, you know, it's part of a panel. I'm sweating bullets, obviously. <laughs> and I get asked a question about the type of person that I am. And I say to these women in the panel that I am friendly, but I am not nice. So, yeah, that's the resurrection. <gasps> what does that mean? Okay. So one of the editors says to me, you know, I just, I'm really worried about that because at the end of the day, the readers need to connect with you. And if you say you're not nice, it means people just will not find a way to relate to you. <laughs> I said to her, being friendly means you can come up to me, you can talk to me and all that. But I used to be one of those nice people until people treated me like a mat that was outside where it was like, which is not what I wanted. And so for me, networking is about coming across as myself. Whenever you have to fake it, I know people say you must fake it till you make it. No, you won't last. You must be you because then you do what works for you. For instance, I go to a lot of functions. When I get to a function, I'll find somebody I know. Let's say I know Jackie. I'm going to get there, find her, stand in a corner, and not move. That's my personality. I'm not one of those people that, you know, I'll be with my champagne glass. Babe! <laughs> no. I'm not that person. I, I have a lot of shyness, so even this to me is a little bit scary when everybody's looking at me and I'm trying to sound lucid and smart. So... Do what works for you. If you work the room, work the room. If you're not, be insular and you'll see somebody will come to you or you'll be at the bar, you'll meet somebody else or when you register, you'll talk to somebody. The thing about it though, about networking, although we talk about it too much, is that you must remember reputation management. If you remember that your reputation is all you've got, then you'll be fine. So... The important thing about understanding that is that you will then protect your integrity. So if somebody says something that's not right, you're going to call them up and say, uh, hi, I heard that you said that about me. That's not right. Or you won't put yourself in situations where you're at a function and now you're getting drunk because you've forgotten about your reputation. Your reputation here and onwards is the only thing that you have. Whether you're in magazines or whether you are in the corporate world, it is about understanding that... Be you and have integrity and all will be fine. Okay, there was a lady, yeah. Hi. Um, Hello. My question is, like, as we grow, we're growing now and everybody wants to be a part of, you know? Like, okay, you were in matric, now you're at UJ, now your cousins want to know you, you know? You're going to NSERV, now your aunties want to know you. Everybody wants to be a part of you. So as we grow and, you know, we, we're going further than where we come from, like, what? What are the type of people that you need around, like the core support structure that you need? Not like, because we sometimes people end up having like a million people around them, and you end up floundering and having, you know, unnecessary. Like, what are the type of people that you need around you to keep you going and keep you supported and grounded and on the right track? Can I tell you that you have asked like a question that I hope you will ask yourself until the day you die, because. We don't do enough of an inventory on who's in our life. We don't do enough of that. We're like, yeah, hey, but we've known each other since like we were 11, and 
she annoys me, but I, I can't dump her because she's like my friend. You know what I mean? And you forget that it's not about loyalty. I had a lot of people. I had a lot of people that I was friends with, and I've lost a lot of friends, a lot of friends. In fact, now I can count my friends. And it was important for me to recognize that there's nothing wrong with losing people as you go along because you also evolve. You also evolve. Yeah. Uh, if you if you guys met me eight years ago, you would have gone, ah, champis, man. You know, like no no sense of style, no sense of self, not having the right people around me. So a lot of the stuff that I was getting was negative because people can be clever with their negativity. Okay, not like obvious negativity. Some, are you sure you want to buy that dress, babes? You know what I mean? Like, that's negative, but like, I'm just looking out for you, but you don't want me to tell you the truth. You need to surround yourself with people who won't, excuse my French, bullshit you. You need people who will tell you the truth. So I've had the same best friend since I was 11. She will not lie to me, even though I wish she would. (laughs) My sister will not lie to me either. She's too honest. And I think... You remember that, sorry to use a cliche, but it's about quality, not the quantity. And if people are always honest with you, you'll struggle with them, you may cry about what they're saying, but if it's delivered with care and with love, then, you know, they'll stick around. But please don't be afraid of losing people. Please understand that it's about self-preservation, you first and then others. You know, when you're flying, they say, get the thing put it on you first, and then think about helping other people. That's how you should look at your life. You save yourself first, and then you can think about your friendships and people liking you. But surround yourself with people who won't lie to you.